0: Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter, and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Elbow. Facebook at facebookcom slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Cigar Page put together a great offering special for our readers. 60 Gs, baby. The team at Bloody Elbow had some laughs thinking about those old school UFC fight bonuses and how far some of those early fighters have come. The 60 G's baby deal from Cigar Page is five 90 plus rated cigars and a travel humidor. This is a value of $90 that Cigar Page is offering Bloody Elbow readers for $25. While that cigar culture is alive and well in the MMA community, it may not be your thing. And it also makes an awesome gift for the holidays. You can grab this deal today at CigarPage.com slash 60 baby. That's CigarPage.com 60GSBaby.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the MMA vivisection section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-hosts, as always, Connor Rebush. That's me. Yeah, okay. Whatever. Uh, we're here talking about the UFC 296 prelims going down at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada this week with a headlining main main event between Leon Edwards and Colby Covington alongside Alessandra Pantoja versus Brandon Royville. And a prelim card underneath, a card under, all underneath it, all the way down, that's just strong and well-booked. Pretty good. Yep.
2: No complaints.
1: <clears throat> no complaints. We've already made our complaints about the annoying... About people being annoying on the main card, Vivi, but that's a small complaint to make.
2: Yeah, hey, we got a couple more of those here. But yeah, uh,
1: Yeah. They're all over the place on this card, but you know That's MMA. Yeah, you can't you can't base your love of MMA around your enjoyment of the fighters' personalities. That's a bad way to go about the sport.
2: <laughs> Recipe for disappointment.
1: Yes. Our featured prelim Josh Emmett against Bryce Mitchell a short notice replacement fight for Bryce Mitchell after Giga Chikadze pulled out of the fight, which is too bad because that Chikadze Emmett fight would have been pretty fascinating Mm -hmm. given Emmett's really long time love of standing six feet away from people and figuring out the right moment to jump in and try to crush them. Yeah. That feels like exactly the kind of dynamic that, would be really good for Giga Chikadze a lot and maybe bad for him just a little.
2: Yeah. This one, on the other hand, much harder to call. I just wish I had seen Bryce Mitchell against a sort of squat stubby power puncher before, Mm -hmm. you know, if I'd seen that matchup, he might have an idea of what to expect here. Yeah. But really uh, don't know. Nothing doing.
0: No way.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's again, it's, he just fought, Ilya Tapuria lost, fought Dan-, Dan Ige, barely won. Now he gets another one. Yeah. Styl- stylistic variation in there. And it, um certainly the, I-, I think, the oldest, most likely to be sort of past his prime of that group. The hardest so, punching. Of that but course. also the hardest punching and probably even compared to Tupuria, the guy who started with the highest athletic ceiling. Mm-hmm a really phenomenal athlete, very fast, very powerful, has a long way to drop off before it'll feel like fighting a normal
1: guy. The pressuring midpoint between them, which is what makes this really interesting, honestly. Yeah. Kapuria being the guy who is just absolutely going to come forward and make your life miserable. Ige being the guy who is most likely going to hang back and try to counter you in bursts inside. And Emmett, the guy who is he's a middle distance fighter to a fault. Yeah.
2: Um, I'll tell you what, though. I have not been very impressed with Bryce Mitchell against mm-hmm. this type. I thought Danny Gay kind of left the win on the table
1: in their fight. He did kind of leave him win on the table. I think it was a great example of how much Danny Gay is at his most comfortable not pressuring. Yeah.
2: And uh, I thought just a slightly different temper temperament or a few different decisions. And that would not have been even a questionable Bryce Mitchell win. Yeah, um, I would not. Basically, I would not put what the result of that fight. Um, I would not put that all down to Bryce Mitchell's winning effort. No, uh, I think it was kind of given to him, which is not to say he didn't fight really hard for it, that I wasn't impressed uh, as I often am with his ability to sort of gas which he seems to be doing a lot of lately but to get tired and just keep plugging and uh you know he's certainly a very resilient determined fighter
1: he is not a top tier athlete but he has a special kind of brain that (laughs) refuses to it refuses to see the obvious Mm. in the face of undeniable fact (laughs) his brain will just slide away whether like the fact is window.
2: you're straight up losing this fight or uh, the earth is a certain shape. Yeah. Uh, he has an, a, an unmatched
1: ability to just not acknowledge that. <laughs> yeah, and has self-conviction like you would not believe. That is true.
2: Um, But, yeah, just don't think... I think we are seeing the limits of his physical potential to an extent of his stylistic potential. I would need to see a serious positive change in Bryce Mitchell's game to continue confidently picking him. I think at this sort of just this physical level. Yeah. And I am very much inclined to take Josh Emmett here on the basis that he is the hardest hitting of that bunch. Bryce Mitchell has proven to be quite hittable in these fights, and while Phil may raise the crucial point that this has not been tested against the best of the best, I still have a strong feeling, based on what I've seen, that you ain't out-wrestling Josh Emmett easily.
1: Yeah, that is is tough, because... Um,
2: he has not fought a lot of wrestlers to be fair.
1: He's not fought a lot of wrestlers and his takedown defense has not been great when he has fought those wrestlers. Yeah. He gave up a hundred percent of his takedowns against Delia Tapuria. True. He also gave all of them up in round five where he was controlled for two and a half minutes on three takedowns. Yeah. He was also getting crushed in that fight. He was. And he gave up one takedown against Danny Gay, which resulted in 20 seconds of control. Yeah, that's the I thing. Think the big thing that we've, we can say having of what we've seen out of Emmett is that when you do get him down because he's so powerful, it's very hard to keep him down.
2: That is the thing. He is just an innately great scrambler because uh, a he's done a lot of work with a ton of great wrestlers has a wrestling background b he's just a great athlete so fast great balance very strong he can just cheat his way out of positions josh emmett's josh emmett is the type of guy who could probably actually do that movie thing where he gets duct taped to a chair and he just flexes and busts out yeah you know most people can't do that josh emmett is a beast and so, yeah, I'm inclined to pick him because it's hard. It's just hard for me to envision Bryce Mitchell consistently out wrestling him. And given the severity of the left hands, the left hooks of which Josh Emmett has a great one, that Dan Ige was landing on Bryce Mitchell, like at will. Mm-hmm. Coming from a guy who is still faster, I think, than Dan Ige, and certainly harder hitting. I just don't know. I, I just don't think Bryce Mitchell <sighs> has the requisite physicality.
1: There there are a couple of things that are pushing me to pick Josh Emmett here as well. Uh, the big one just being the fact that or, you know, I say fact, the, the projection, the feeling, the supposition, the sense, the sense that Bryce Mitchell is always making it up as he goes along, mm-hmm. uh, which is a testament, I think, to how, you know, how good he can be at figuring things out when yeah he's a problem solver he is a problem solver. It, I I really wish that somebody had been able to bend his mind to other problems. Mm -hmm. And uh, then the ones that he seems to have been to solving, but in the cage, he is very good at figuring out what didn't work last time and what he should then try next time. Yeah.
2: Um, And he's got a really uh, broad game to a broad array of tools to choose from. So he's, he's equipped to come up with those solutions,
1: but it does not serve him well, especially not at a high level as a striker
2: Mm -hmm.
1: because his striking toolkit is not technical at all. Not
2: compared to his ground game, sir,
1: not compared to his ground game and not compared to other elite fighters in his division. Yeah. And, so when he goes to problem solve his striking after something doesn't work out, yeah, it starts to look a lot like what he tried last time that failed because at some point he's got to enter on the same angle mm-hmm. and he's only got a couple of targets that he's going to hit and he's only got a couple of strikes that he's going to throw. So it's not going to be a big change up. There's not a lot of nuance that he can throw in that the way he can with his wrestling and his grappling games.
2: Yeah, I think the thing is also that he's actually, I think, more more naturally good on the feet. um, Yeah, as a back foot striker. So when he's put in a position as he was against Ige of having to press in and being allowed to press in. But then it was like his timing didn't look so impressive. Yeah. It's just the relentless positional grind that got him there.
1: And that also tends to mean, because he's a figuring things out on the fly kind of guy, that his his wrestling game can often be pretty slow to get into gear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because he's got to take the time to figure out how he wants to make it work. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of feel like there's going to be a first round of this fight where Bryce Mitchell is having to just kind of go toe-to-toe with Josh Emmett. Mm. and that seems like the worst way to get the rest of this fight yeah you know especially on short notice where maybe we can't you can't rely on yourself being in the cardio shape that you normally would be yeah and he's not a great athlete even then so his game already tires him a lot yeah so it
2: is uh, 38 years old he's certainly declining yep but um you know, but, and there's an avenue maybe like Bryce Mitchell's a pretty good kicker. Like that's certainly something I would try in his shoes sure. right from the outset is put some pressure on Josh Emmett, put him against the cage, and just kick him in the body and try to bounce a shin off his head. You know, like uh-huh. uh, really force him to use his hands defensively and and corral him around. But man, I would not like to be uh, the guy who got hit really really hard repeatedly by Dan Egan. And have to go in there with the similar prospects on the table against Josh Emmett. Yeah. He just just hits like a truck, dude. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's bad.
1: Yeah, I just don't – you know, it's not the – Emmett's not the most complicated problem to solve. But he is a uh, problem that almost entirely tends to need to be solved standing up. You know, like we say, he's very hard to hold down even when you can take him down. Yeah. And the best version of Bryce Mitchell as a problem solver is not on his feet. 100%. So, yeah, I'm taking Josh Emmett here, too. The short notice especially doesn't help either, Mm -hmm. just because I really do think that as he gets further and further up the division, Mitchell needs every bit of – he needs every edge he can get physically to stay in fights. Right. Right. So coming in on short notice. you Yeah. Well, he's just, I mean, he's just not that fast or strong. He's not. Yeah. What makes him good is that he is solving problems.
2: And, and he's got a really, he fights at a really intense pace. You know, yeah. that's like the stronger uh, and faster your opponents get, the more taxing that pace is to maintain.
1: Yeah, we saw against Delia Tapuria. Yeah. it just went out there and shut him. Down. Like he just didn't have to deal with Bryce Mitchell. Mm-hmm. You know, Mitchell yeah, got his is take fake. down. <laughs> this is all fake. Yeah, it's just like, okay, you're not that fast. You're not that strong. I'm just gonna beat your ass. I'm sorry. Yep. You know.
2: Yeah, I think Emmett is clearly not as good as Tupuri as a technician, but
1: yeah, no, clearly not. He's got. But I don't answer. know that it takes a technician to beat Bryce yeah. Mitchell. That's Agreed. I don't. I think it's just going to be a problem of better athletes as he goes further up who don't have to deal with the the fact that like a lot of what he's doing is reliant on him being able to put a pace on somebody and to keep giving them problems to solve, you know, keep trying to find solutions to the problem yeah. that uh, a lot of lesser athletes, they can't keep up with either. But yeah. really good athletes can be like okay, you still actually have to traverse the space between us and set up a couple of different things, and if I'm watching and preparing for those, then I can stop you from getting to any of it. Yep. You know? Uh, Odds on the fight. Josh Emmett is the underdog. Wow. Wow. Started at plus 107, is currently plus 187. Bryce Mitchell opened at minus 118, is currently at minus 212. I mean, it could happen, but I don't see the game in Bryce Mitchell that has beat Josh Emmett. Yeah. You know? Me neither. The only thing would be his fight up at lightweight against Des Green. But Des Green is a supreme neutralizer. Like yep. just a dude who takes all the fight out of the fight. And he scraped by Josh Emmett by basically just not letting Josh Emmett punch him ever. <laughs> it was not a good fight. Good, good idea, though. Yeah, good idea. Don't let Josh Emmett punch you. But not something I think Bryce Mitchell can replicate. Mitchell isn't any kind of neutralizer in that way. Certainly not. And then otherwise you've got Jeremy Stevens out punching him. And Yair Rodriguez just being way too fast and diverse for Emmett to handle when you're giving yeah, Rodriguez, his preferred distance to set up his next fun Yair Rodriguez thing. And Ilya Tapuria out techniquing him, but for Bryce Mitchell to just kind of have to play a slow version of the Rodriguez game that's not at all dangerous on the feet. I don't I don't like that at all.
2: Yeah.
1: All right. Uh that brings us to a women's bantamweight fight that I think has It's weird. Aldana. Aldana. I, I know it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Aldana Rosa. We're just both back. thinking Aldana. I, it's just we, I, we're we're gonna get through this in a minute because I, I we gotta we, we got a time budget to keep here. It turns out. Yeah. But I just want to say this: this fight has the weird feeling of both imagined parity and imagined disparity. In okay. the
2: those words rhyme, I don't understand them yet,
1: well, and that they're 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 opposites, parody and disparity. um go on, I'm learning it feels like it both feels like Aldana should be way better than Carol Hosa, but in reality, she's really just only a very little bit better than Carol yeah. Hosa. But being a little bit better than Carol Hosa is probably going to make a huge difference.
2: Well, it's hard to use objective terms like better and worse. I know, but uh, because the thing with Carol Hosa, which had me say "aldana, aldana" <laughs> immediately, is that she's busted.
1: Yes, and that's. And what I, I
2: don't mean she's unattractive. Okay, you zoomer kids out there, Ian Gary, if you're listening, that's not what I meant. What I mean is something went wrong with her yeah. game. She used to be a lot better than she is now, and now she is out there having a series of the most frustrating, frustrated performances you can yeah. imagine.
1: It it sucks.
2: Madonna I, is out there still just mostly having her normal fights.
1: Yeah, and I'm just saying that like, what we saw against Macy Chasen and Amanda Nunez is exactly the proof that I Irene Aldana is just a very middle of the pack bantamweight. Yeah, there we we agree. Just nothing separating her distinctly from the rest of her division. And Carol Hosa is also a very middle of the pack bantamweight that does not have any distinct separation from the rest of her division. Yeah. That's what I mean by there's There's parody here. But I also just kind of expect Aldana to maybe run away from with this fight. Just because, as you say, like she's not busted. There's something wrong with Carol. What's she doing out there? And she just yeah, for a fighter who used to be a pressure volume striker who could also then work off her back foot and fire in volume off the back foot was like yeah. basically just working off the jab going forward and backward. She just now no longer seems like she has confidence anywhere and is rushing the clinch a lot, which then she's not winning. Her yeah. Clinch her, she's,
2: she's become really lazy in the clinch. It's very strange. Yeah. Like she just got that fight with Norma Dumont.
1: Well, but even more than that, her win, her fight with Yana Santos. Uh, like,
2: was, Yeah.
1: Irene Aldana went out there and knocked Yana Santos out. Just tuned her up for wandering in and throwing sloppy strikes, which Carol Hosa capable of doing. But Carol Hosa just went out there and got scared by Santos blitzing her. Yeah, and just had the most grindy, awful, sluggish fight possible. Oof. So. Like I say, it's a, it's a parody disparity problem where it's just like they're not there's not a lot separating these two women, honestly, in terms of their technical ability or their overall game. And yet, I just expect I I expect uh, Irene Aldana to find the discomfort Hosa has out there much easier to work around than Hosa has finding the comfort discomfort in Irene Aldana's game and working around that. Yeah. Basically. I get that. You see what I mean?
2: hmm Yeah, like, no, I understand. It
1: these it, it should be it should be a very nip tuck fight, and I just have the the feeling that Aldana's just gonna be like clearly better. But yeah. not for any real reason.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, not not um, not not necessarily of her own doing. Yeah, she will she will appear to be much better. Yeah, no, I'm on I'm on the same page there. This it's really an amp, it, the the confidence I have is purely an anti Carol yeah. Hosa feeling.
1: Like if Carol Hosa shows up and she is on her game, this oh, could yeah. be an incredibly nip tuck fight that Carol Hosa can win. Well, I think she has the potential to be just straight up better than Aldana. Sure. I mean, if, he, if she can find the leverage in Aldana's game, then Aldana's wide open to be beat by anybody.
2: Yeah. She could go out there, put some pressure on her, stick it, you know, just jab with her, maybe get to yep. some takedowns. But absolutely. The the path to winning is right there for the Carol Hosa that I saw beat uh, Jocelyn Edwards and Vanessa Mello, you know, yeah. like, but. She's just uh, she's just like weirdly broken. I'm not sure what happened, but she doesn't. She seems unfocused and yep. sort of has zero sense of urgency. That's what I mean by like lazy in the clinches. She's just like, yeah, it's just hard. To, it's hard to to be able to tell like what she's thinking or feeling. Yeah, she's fighting. She just seems
1: flat in every. I, one I, of I the get fights. the feeling it, it, it was a. She, there used to be a confidence that she was just also stronger than people so that she could handle them, whatever they brought to her. And sure. she's finding a division full of people that are just as big and strong as her. And so now it all has to be based on her technical ability. And the confidence isn't there without the, yeah without the strength, the confidence is gone. It appears the confidence is gone. So, yeah, Aldana. Aldana opened at minus two hundred seven. Is currently minus one eighty five. Hosa opened at plus one eighty three. Currently plus one sixty five. All right. Cody Bart Garbrandt, Brian Kelleher. Kelleher. Yeah. yeah <laughs> honestly, another one. I don't even want to break this down. Like, you want to talk Jones. about
2: broken fighters? You want to talk about busted processes? Cody Garbrandt is your guy.
1: Trevin Jones, it is the worst indictment of the in the world on Trevin Jones that he lost that fight to Cody Garbrandt. It's also, was,
2: the, it's also the worst indictment in the world on Cody Garbrandt that he lost the third round to Trevin Jones.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, that's just it. Is it? Once Trevin Jones actually figured out, maybe I should throw something. Yeah. Maybe I should try fighting him. Maybe that would be the way to beat Cody mm. Garbrandt is to try fighting him. He just started whipping his
2: ass. <laughs> <laughs> and in like the most pedestrian like because he, he, he's not comfortable whipping people's asses. No. You know, when it when it involves coming after the opponent, that is not Trevin Jones's wheelhouse. No. But he literally just stepped forward and threw what I I'm going to go ahead and say without double checking his first combination of the entire fight. Yes. And it buzzed Cody Garbrandt and put the fear in him. Yep. And instantly he was just doing whatever Trevin Jones suggested he should do. Oh, you want me to move this way? Okay, okay, I'll stay yeah. away. He, he Cody Garbrand is his 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 game. You want to talk about confidence being lost. The another theme of this whole card, the tie between like confidence and durability.
1: Yeah. It's gone. And it it's gone, gone, gone. It's been durability, gone. Durability, I will stand by this forever. Durability was never Cody Garbrandt's first problem, but it is absolutely the problem that has been created over time.
2: The awareness of durability being a problem is as much a problem as the durability itself.
1: Yeah. Like Cody Garbrandt, you go back to the first fight that he got knocked, you know, the first TJ Dillashaw loss, the second. T.J. Dillashaw loss, the Pedro Munoz loss. Yeah. You go back to all three of those, 2017, 18, 19. The punishment Cody Garbrandt took to get to the point that he got knocked out in those fights. Yeah. Was absurd. The chin was not the problem. It was that he could not stop taking the punishment until the chin was gone.
2: Yeah. I mean, I will say, as I believe I've said the last few times you've made this point, I, I get what you're saying. I don't think Cody Garbrandt was ever very durable.
1: He he may not have ever been very durable, but he was more than durable enough to be champion at one point. Yeah, he could have made it work
2: with his durability. He would have always been fragile for an elite fighter, I think. I mean, just the fact that he got like one shot KO'd uh, as an amateur, that possibility was just there. Sure. But yeah, he could have made it work with the chin he had if he hadn't just invited punishment. Then he did. He got punished a bunch. Yeah. Got knocked out a bunch.
1: Like, I would say GSP was probably not yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. very durable over his career. Yeah. But he knew that, and he figured it out really fast after that uh, loss to uh, Matt Sarah. Sarah. And he would get buzzed in a lot of his fights, but he would just fight around Mm -hmm. that issue.
2: How about about this? I'm not going to get finished.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to keep getting hit. I'm not going to do things that allow you to hit me. Yeah.
2: Anyway, what's happened is Cody Garbrandt went through that process. He just kept getting hit. He kept getting hurt. And now way too late, he has tried to reconfigure his entire game. His confidence is shot. The moment he gets touched with anything, Almost no matter how badly it really hurts him. Yep. And he goes into uh, flight mode.
1: Yep. Starts and,
2: galloping. Yep. He just and, – and, and, and what has emerged to fill the space before he gets scared out of the fight is not impressive. It is –
1: backfoot safety game that does not hurt anyone and tries to wait for people to walk in and make big mistakes
2: which somehow despite the directionality of it still does not make use of the genuinely good jab cody garbrandt has in his arsenal he has never understood what a jab is for yep he has a good one I mean, he's got quick hands, he hits hard, it's really nice and straight. His his footwork and positioning, at least before, were generally pretty good. He had all the makings of a good jab, And when he threw it, you would see, you're like, damn. That was like a just like a, a bolt, like really impactful. But somehow, despite becoming a fully committed backfoot fighter, His jab is, if anything, less present than it was before.
1: It's because he's all now it's all waiting for the trying to do trying to one shot his way to safety.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah. Because a jab means you might create an
1: exchange. Exactly. Um, Got to be the one big punch. Otherwise, I'm creating an exchange and I can't afford an exchange.
2: Yeah, it's just totally dysfunctional. And yeah, Brian Keller has his problems. He could get finished early. That's how he gets finished. If he doesn't. We're talking about a, an aggressive opportunistic finisher
1: yeah. with Kelleher, a pretty
2: well-rounded game. I am not picking Cody Garbrandt over that.
1: Kelleher, is a, he's a cold starter who moves fast, which puts him in position to get finished early because yep. he's trying to get warmed up into the fight by starting hot. Very Donald Cerrone. Yes. Um, but also just like Donald Cerrone in that same mold – if you don't finish Brian Kelleher early on, if you don't get him in that first round, he tough. only gets better and more comfortable and more dexterous and feels his way into exchanges really well and yep. just gets a, becomes a better and better fighter. Basically
2: his whole career, he's either getting finished really quickly or he is having a war with somebody. Yeah, Um, unless he's just crushing them the whole time, which also happens. Yeah, I'm 100 percent not picking Cody Garbrandt over, especially because Brian Kelleher is a dangerous fighter who knows it, who likes finishing
1: people. Yeah. Unlike Trevin Jones. There's a chance that he walks into something early, but Cody Garbrandt isn't pulling the trigger on those chances anymore. No. So all Kelleher has to really do is not put himself out early in the fight. And usually that's by submission and Garbrand is not submitting people. That's no, not
2: true.
1: Sure he is that, trying to wrestle him. Yeah. He's, he's got the alpha male sensibility there of, Oh, I got, you know, I, I went for something for a second and it wasn't obviously right there. So I'm going to back off and reset. Yep. And so he's got, to he's got to knock Brian Kelleher out or Kellher's just going to get more comfortable and start tuning him up and it's going to happen a lot faster than it did for trevin jones yep odds on the fight cody garbrandt is okay people oh that makes me sad cody garbrandt is the favorite opened at minus 214 currently at minus 193 hey
2: you know joe rogan was impressed by that trevin jones fight
1: Brian Kelleher opened at +188. He's currently at +171. Those odds just need to get closer. I'm sorry, but I get that Brian Kelleher was never champ and I get that Brian Kelleher loses a lot of fights. But he,
2: Have you seen Cody Garbrandt?
1: Yeah. Cody <laughs> Garbrandt is he is in Tony Ferguson territory at Just half what I eight. was going to
2: say. We are we are past the point where you you should not have picked Tony over Benil Dariush. Yeah, you know I know I, Cody's gotten some more forgiving matchups. Like truly, Trevin Jones is like the most forgiving matchup you could imagine. Yes, He's an unbelievably passive and reticent fighter. Mm-hmm. And even then, he almost threw it away. You know,
1: really close.
2: You, you just i just not picking him over anybody. Decent and aggressive who hunts finishes themselves.
1: Yeah. All right. That brings us to a women's flyweight fight. Casey O'Neill, Ariane Lipsky, and, um, probably a win for Casey Mm O'Neill, but, she needs to get smarter about what kind of fighter he, she is and what her limitations are because, and I hope that that Jennifer Maya fight did that for her mm-hmm. because she is very much in, um, she, she's got most uh, or not most but, uh, oh, Mohammed Mokayev disease. Mm. Which is you know the the feeling that she is a much different that she has a physicality to her game that does not exist
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that like she can be a different kind of fighter than she is mm-hmm. mokaev you know he he he's he is lucky that he just thinks that he's a really powerful wrestler when he's actually just a really technical wrestler. Mm-hmm that's a really nice you know that's a, that's a good way to fool yourself yeah cuz you get yourself into a lot of scrambles that you then still have the ability to win out
2: could be worse you could think he's a yeah. power puncher you know <laughs>
1: that's casey o'neill's problem <laughs> yeah she thinks that she is a aggressive volume like hurt you puncher and she is in leaf blower mode yeah and if she tries to play that with Lipsky, Lipsky can make her pay for it a lot worse than anyone else that uh, O'Neill has ever fought Lipsky hits a lot harder mm-hmm. than any of the people O'Neill has fought to date
2: it's and just it's a, simply a better level of striker
1: yeah, I mean this Jennifer the, Maya is much more consistent and considered than Ariani Lipsky, but Lipsky is much smoother and more technical.
2: Lipsky's a lot less rote than Jennifer yes. Maya. I mean, she exactly. is genuinely a, you know, given a comfortable fight, is a pretty fluid yeah. potent and comfortable striker. She, you know, she, it's a shame the rest of her game is limited in the ways that it is because
1: Yeah,
2: I've been very impressed with some of her... Uh, her kickboxing performances lately.
1: Yeah, I mean you we have seen now if you cannot take if you cannot take Lipsky to the cage uh and if you cannot deny her the edge of striking range, you know, yep. if you if you can if you get stuck at the edge of her range, she will carve you up. Yep. No question.
2: You throw wayward shots from too far away, she will counter the hell out of you.
1: And Casey O'Neill will do that. Uh Absolutely. So I'm picking Casey O'Neill because she will also take people down and she is a really good punishing top game when she does that. Mm -hmm. And I have seen Lipsky lose too many fights to somebody who could just get even one takedown on her. But. I. Casey O'Neill, she like she needs to, that Maya fight needed to be a wake up call because the Roxanne Modafferi split decision should have been, and yeah. wasn't.
2: Yeah, but that is as we know often how fighters operate. It's a lot likelier yeah. that there was some kind of wake up call because she actually, she she got an L. Yeah. You no, know? so hopefully, if it hasn't, I think I would probably still pick her just
1: on the distinct possibility that she's going to get to good grappling positions yeah she pressures a- enough that i think she'll push lipsky to the end confidently enough that i think she'll push lipsky yeah. against the fence and if she does that then i think she'll end up taking her down by accident at some point <laughs> yeah
2: even there i mean lipsky's um i mean i think her takedown defense as she has sort of calmed down um, it's, be- it's definitely better it's definitely better. She, at the very least, she now has a decently strong first layer of takedown defense.
1: Yeah. You know, it's
2: just harder to get to the right distance. It's harder to set up without her quickly sprawling or quickly getting her underhook. Under she's she's more disciplined about breaking away. I mean, this is a much tougher fight for Casey O'Neill than it would have been if she'd gotten the Lipsky we had three years ago. Three yeah. years ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, I honestly would not be at all surprised if there is a version of care uh, of ariani Lipsky that like four years from now is a title contender
2: no yeah me neither she's 29 you know? she's got a little more time to keep improving and she has been improving at a pretty good rate just over yeah. the last couple years so
1: and she's been fighting out of king's mma hey uh i don't i forgot about that yeah and which is always a, a camp we like for its ability to just instill you should really be the one going forward and pressuring and making it happen
2: and just turn it out just round winning fighters
1: yeah let, let me see uh, here, here's her Instagram where has she been actually training because King's tapology is not um yeah necessarily that's her at the UFC gym
2: uh Yeah, I don't know. I think she
1: doesn't have her gym listed.
2: I'm also going to look at Ariane Lipsky's uh, Instagram.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Purely
2: academic uh, research um, reasons. Just going to look at this for a while. Mm hmm. I haven't noticed there's no gym pictures that have jumped out of my eye. Have you seen a single gym picture? No, not. <laughs> oh, a lot of beach shots. A lot of beach shots.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> All right, let me stop playing the yeah. lech, uh, and say that yeah, I mean I I'm I'm counting on Casey O'Neill's tenacity and desire to grapple.
1: Oh, she's been training with Amanda Nunes lately, apparently. Hey,
2: probably not a bad idea.
1: Yeah. Um.
2: I'm counting on O'Neill's in, intense desire to grapple, to come through. Yeah. If somehow she cannot complete takedowns, she's probably in really bad trouble. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it is certainly more possible than it was at any previous time that the takedowns will be hard to come by.
1: Yeah. It's not—it's not nearly as easy a fight. I think, like I say, I think Lipsky's a fighter who could just be slowly getting better for years and years and years, mm-hmm. to the point that you know you're talking about her nearing the end of her career, being like, oh, she's a contender. Yeah, I mean, she's where, clearly
2: a really good athlete. She's yeah, she, she's poised to have a longer tail, I think, than a lot of uh, other fighters of her generation.
1: And she's been slowly improving over the last, you know, several years. Just yep. seems like consistent, slow steady improvement.
2: Yep. So yeah, I, I think a, a poss- possibly a trap fight uh, here yep. for for Casey O'Neill, but I am I am also going to pick her.
1: O'Neill opened at minus one sixty nine. Is currently at minus one eighty five. Lipsky opened at. Plus one thirty three, currently plus one sixty-five. All right. That brings us to Alonzo Menafield, Dustin Jacoby, and uh yeah, these aren't hard to pick, are they?
2: No, they're not. I still like, like them. I like yeah. the fighters involved.
1: Yeah. I I think that this is this is a, a this is the right fight for Alonzo Menafield. And considering, let's see, did Jacoby lose his last fight? No, he beat Kennedy in Um It's not; it, it's a reasonable fight for Dustin Jacoby. It's a sidestep for Jacoby, but uh, yeah, it's but definitely the kind needs of fight. A couple that, of those, anyway. Yeah, and it's the kind of fight that Menafield has been building to for a long time. Yeah.
2: But uh, you you got to pick Jacoby, right? Yeah. He's just like, one of these guys is an actual kickboxer.
1: Yeah. And, <laughs> like, you can't look at that fight that Menafield had with Jimmy... The, the pair of fights he had with Jimmy Crute. Yeah. Where Jimmy Crute's in, insane ability and lack of defense uh, kept him in the first one and made Menafield really tired. And to Menafield's great plan in the second fight was to just hold Jimmy Crude against the cage the whole time instead of doing anything and then find the, the perfect opportunity to hurt him and not spend a lot of extra energy on the way to doing it. Yeah. Like not, not stupid, but Dustin Jacoby is absolutely iron jawed. Absolutely. Just insanely difficult to knock out yeah and will fill all the space with effective small strikes that will chip away at you yep he will kick Menefield's legs he will stick a jab in his face he will you know look for short counter punches and things like that and just never let a moment of the fight go by where he isn't trying to make something happen while also taking the punishment coming back at him. And if, if Menafield was Osmat Merzakanov, mm-hmm. then sure, maybe I'd pick him, but it is. Kobe
2: also has a quality that um, sort of Krut had that actually troubled Menefield, which is he consistently just gets better at the deeper into the fight. He got, he goes.
1: Yeah. Cause I was going to say, you know, maybe like it's taken to this point in Menefield's career. It has taken all of eight years for him to get to the point where he can throw a one, two and stay on balance. Yeah. Like he just cannot keep a pace and maintain and build anything. That's not the kind of fighter he is. Yeah. He has been teaching himself how to throw with the kind of insane power he has in a way that can be effective for more than one shot at a time for years. Mm -hmm. And there's just a limited ceiling to that, you know? Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. You you simply just have to pick
2: Dustin Jacoby because he's, uh, he's not altogether easy to take down anymore. No, um, not that that is like a
1: great wrestler. Yeah,
2: exactly. not that that's even a great path, but it's often something a guy in many fields position would choose against the kickboxer. He's fighting. Uh, hmm not going to be easy to get those. Not super easy to hold up against the fence. I mean, Jacoby actually has some skills as a clinch fighter that you have to deal with in that range. And then the whole process of being just having, because, because to be honest, like it wasn't even Menifield proactively getting crude against the cage for a lot of the fight. It was crude trying to wrestle him. Yeah. And Menefield stuffing the shots, and then it turning into this horrible grimy. Yeah. Battle against the fence, but it was usually crude initiating. Otherwise, Menefield's approach was to be very negative and not do much.
1: Stock and stare and wait yeah. for the perfect opportunity.
2: And that it leaves a lot of room for Dustin Jacoby's jab and Dustin Jacoby's low kicks, and Dustin Jacoby's being a kickboxer.
1: <laughs> yeah, like I don't, I will not be surprised at all if Menefield drops Jacoby early sure. with a huge overhand. Sure. But if Jacoby rides that out like he has against pretty much everybody in MMA, you know, even even against Asimov Marizakonov, who could just bomb him with single shots for the whole fight, started to find Jacoby hard to handle by the end of that fight.
2: As far as I know, the only guy who has knocked Jacoby out. He has he has two uh, stoppage losses to strikes. Um they are actually there's three. They're all in kickboxing. One was an injury.
1: One, one's in MMA. Uh, one. Which one was that? That's the uh, 2014 King Mo ground and pound.
2: Oh belt. yeah, ground and pound. There was a three knockdown stoppage mm-hmm. to uh, Michael Dute in kickboxing, and then the other, the only guy who's actually just KO'd him, Alex Pereira.
1: Yeah, and that King Mo lost to was King Mo at his most coffin nail violent. Oh yeah. King which, Mo savage
2: ground and pound artist.
1: Yeah. And uh, yeah, otherwise, it, you know, Dustin Jacoby, he's just, he's got a great chin.
2: Just does. <laughs> yeah. We've seen it demonstrated a lot recently. Yep. Um, Even, even now as an, as an aging man. Yeah. You just have to pick him. Looks like a kickboxing match. I'm taking the guy who's a pretty good kickboxer.
1: Jacoby opened at plus one forty nine. Or no, Manafield opened at plus one forty-nine. He's currently at plus two eighteen. Jacoby opened at minus one ninety-two, currently minus two fifty-two. Yeah. I just got I gotta pick him. No question. All right, that brings us to Tajir Ulanbakov, Cody Durden. And I really like this booking a uh-huh. lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tajir Alambakov, I mean, he's already run into two different versions of this fight, it feels like. Well, I I guess I should say one, honestly. Nate Manis has some, like, wrestling background, but he really doesn't use it at all. But he's already run into a version of this fight in Tim Elliott. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was a pretty good wake-up call for Tishiru Lambakov, who I think is pretty used to sort of having very, like, set kind of positional wrestling battles with people Mm -hmm. and positional grappling battles with people and was not prepared for somebody like Elliot, who's just going to funk his way through every goddamn thing. Right. And... So he lost that fight, and Cody Durden can do a little of that. Mm -hmm. There's a little funk to Cody Durden's game. He is definitely willing to swarm in with big, awkward, ugly strikes and just try to get to a position and cling and shift his way through it. I don't think Durden is... Funky enough to actually make that work on Elon Bakoff mm-hmm. Durden has a habit of I mean Elliot has the same habit, but Durden has a habit of well of of just putting himself in really simple submission positions, yeah, and I think that Elon Bakoff is a good enough submission artist, and unlike Jake Hadley, a uh, good enough wrestler to stop from being in the absolute worst positions to make this fight tough on Durden. But I think this is a good, it's a good proving mark for Alain in that sense. And for Durden, it's, you know, it's the kind of fight that he's wins over J.P. Bayz, Carlos Moda, Charles Johnson, and Jake Hadley have been building him to a fight where he has to tough or test himself against somebody who can hang with him, potentially in every position. Yeah.
2: So. My yeah. my question is, what is when when Cody Durden takes a look at Tagiru Ulamikov, how where is he going to tell him to go back to?
1: Oh yeah yeah yeah. It's going
2: to be hard for him to figure that one out. I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, he'll, we'll he'll, yeah, I think he'll uh, default default to go back to Russia.
2: Yeah. Do you think he knows? I guess the V—that's a pretty strong. Yeah. tell. This
1: guy's from Russia. Yeah. I think yeah. he would say that about any, like if it was Kazakhstan or. Yeah, yeah. He's Tajikistan just, he's or, a or Borat
2: to, to go back to Russia.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, for sure. Okay, that's true. I, he'll he'll figure that out. Actually, pretty simple problem to solve. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I basically agree. Um, Durden. I don't think it was just the funk from Tim Elliott that gave Ulaanbukov trouble, um, which, as yeah. you said, Durden has a bit of that sort of a hallmark, I suppose, of, of many American wrestlers. Yeah, I'm probably revealing some ignorance here, but it seems to me that funk as a concept is sort of an American wrestling thing.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um,
2: but it's not the defining trait of his wrestling game. Uh, he is much more of a sort of classic positional control wrestler when he gets there, and I think he's just. This comes up so often when we talk about Tim Elliott, but you want to talk about somebody putting themselves in like in just bad finishable positions on the ground. You have to think about levels sometimes. Yeah, and Cody Durden got done by jimmy flick yeah you know the dude does ha- appear to have a special ability to just get quickly submitted by people
1: quickly. he also got deep into a guillotine from Jake Hadley that was right near the bell that's true I and mean, he got absolutely very likely got saved by the bell yeah um
2: this is something Ulombakov is good at doing he's very it good is. at finding sneaky guillotines in particular um So yeah, I just don't really see Durden being able to swamp him badly enough in the wrestling that he can safely avoid the many opportunities that will be there for Ulan to catch his neck.
1: Yep. That's kind of how I feel. It's just, there's just not enough funk of Tim Elliott's funk to Hadley to keep him from being predictable. Yeah. And Ulan is a very dangerous fighter. If you're going to be predictable against him. Yeah. So, but I I say I like it because I do think that mm-hmm. there is enough of the relentless aggression and res, wrestling grappling combo to Durden. Oh yeah. To ask some of the same questions that Elliot asked of Ulan Bakov and that Nate Manis and okay. Alan nascimento did not ask.
2: Yeah, certainly just in the realm of of pace and pressure. Yeah. Um it's probably gonna be a, a very fun grappling match to watch.
1: Yep. So if Alambekov just can't handle the pace and if he like tries an early submission and can't get it and then is just succumbing to the relentlessness he mm-hmm. could end up with the same loss
2: yeah
1: 100% Ah uh, is the favorite here opened at -159 currently -161 Durden opened at +125 currently at +144 all right, that brings us to a featherweight bout. Andre Feely, Lucas Almeida, and yeah, talk about this a little, because I think this I – I, uh, you think what? I, th- I think I may have stolen your turn last time. I can't remember.
2: Oh, I, th- I think we're I think okay. we're on track. You know, okay, we're, good. I mean, it's not that strict. Somebody no, says it's
1: first, and then we discuss.
2: Um, yeah, they, this is what they do with Andre Feely now, I guess.
1: Yeah, I feel bad for – I, I I know I've said this story before, but I will I continue to feel it's one of my many things that I just feel so sorry for with fighters. Yeah. Is it years and years ago? I wrote on Twitter. This was probably like 2020, maybe 2018, honestly, Mm -hmm. although so that would be five years. That was 28 for Andre Feely. I'll say it was 2019. Let's say it was. Around the Miles Jury fight or something like that. I, I I wrote that like, you know, it's wild to see Andre Feely go from like young prospect to seasoned uh, you know, mid card action fight veteran in the UFC. Something like that. And Feely saw it and he was like, Whatever, prick. I'm you know, my best years are still ahead of me. Yeah. I'm a I am I, I haven't even hit my prime yet. I'm I'm still, you know, how can you say that about like a twenty nine year old or something like that? Yeah, yeah. And here we are years later. And I just am like, man, I'm sorry. Cause it's your fault, really. Yeah. Like <laughs> you cursed him. I spoken into existence, and I'm sorry. No, like, I
2: mean that's not that's not what happened. it's it is the no, unfortunate I thing, like I mean, I think about this all the time. How can you not, if you have any morals at all? Yeah, and you're basically in a job, which is the that of a critic.
1: yeah,
2: you're like the, some annoying asshole who like doesn't do the thing but talks about the thing. like shut I, up. yeah, It's a very natural response for an actual professional in the field we're criticizing to have.
1: Yeah, that's why, there's a reason that I don't try to like go out and, you know, try to point my commentary to fighters. and Definitely
2: like, not, which is why you don't snitch tag, you know. Yeah. I'm going to say some things that, yeah, you're right, you genius snitch tagger. I wouldn't say this to his face. That's yeah, why I didn't tag him.
1: Yeah, I don't. I, I, I'm not trying to do it. <laughs> that's like, actually, I, know how important, I know how important maintenance of confidence is to people yeah. in this game. Yeah, going yeah. in and just being like, here, let me take, let me try to destroy your confidence in yourself. Yeah. You know, like I remember there was a heavyweight in the UFC years ago, Christian Colombo. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a welcome to the UFC him. on him. And I was basically like, well, he's kind of too old to progress a lot. And he's kind of too slow to surprise anyone. But he fights hard. So here's to him. And he like, I, I, I interviewed him after that. And he was like, "You asshole," but you're also right. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, respect
2: to Christian Colombo.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
2: that's a, that's a an admirable attitude to have when you're, again, talking to the annoying little shithead who's just criticizing with no stakes. Yeah, like, no he's like, hey, you know,
1: you're not wrong, but I'm going out there and I got to fight anyway, so fuck you." <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, no." <laughs>
2: If you're like an author or a filmmaker, like even then you should be careful about like getting too obsessive about reviews, yeah, don't read them like you, you, you know some people know. can read some and can sure. have a good response, and you can learn things from criticism, yeah as a fighter, like just don't
1: just don't, you need all of your
2: confidence, yeah, just don't you know take 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 the advice from people that you uh that you trust that
1: stay you know, in your bubble, have a team that like. Yeah. Pumps you up relentlessly all the time. Yeah. Trust your coaches to improve you and look out for you unless, you know, you got creepy coaches, but sorry, you're in a trust. <laughs> well,
2: <laughs> you're in MMA. So you probably do, but what can yeah. you do?
1: You're uh, in a tr- you know,
2: I, I'm going to say this, actually, I, I'm going to have a more positive spin because I think you were right. I think Andre Feeley was destined to sort of just be the guy. He was, I think it's possible that your extremely annoying and incensing remark was the thing that inspired the very real, gradual and realistic, but definite improvement that we have seen out of Andre Feely. Sure. I think you're actually responsible for that, so you can actually take to, credit for you know, the yeah. fact that he's out there having close, good fights with Charles Jordan and
0: Nathaniel,
2: uh, and Nathaniel Wood and that he's out there. Uh, that he's out there you know having close fights with guys like Sadiq Youssef and knocking out Shaman Marais and I think that's Meeting actually beating Bill, Bill Algio. that's you you yeah. did that
1: yeah thank you I like to think so um, really he
2: should he should thank you yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, you know, I, I don't I I think this is just this is the role Andre Feely fills. He's he's uh yeah, he's a gatekeeper. Mid card action, action fighter, he makes for a good gatekeeper and otherwise he makes for some some really filler is too demeaning a word. Like you just oh, need yeah. a fun fight on the card. Throw Andre Feely against
1: one of the other guys. When I say mid card action fighter, what I mean is somebody that can be positioned anywhere on a fight card. Yeah other than the main event and you will see them out there and you'll be like oh I'm happy to see that fight
2: yeah I'm always happy to see Andre Feely fight yeah he's always fun and um yeah and is quite good just not championship good yep anyway this seems guaranteed to be an entertaining Andre Feely fight it does cuz uh Lucas Almeida doesn't have but one mode yep and it is war uh
1: Absolutely. I we,
2: if Andre Feely is smart, which he is, yep. Um very another fighter, by the way, like, seems quite pretty uh humble and self-aware.
1: Yeah, it seems like a good deal. Like, I feel I felt so bad. Like, I feel bad about I like
2: think I would like to hang out with Andre Feely from what I've seen. He seems ha. pretty chill.
1: Well, it probably means you have to fight or hang out with the rest of the team alpha male crew, though. And that, that would be. Yeah. Yeah. That
2: would be harder, but
1: Andre you be that one friend that you want to hang out with, but he's going to bring all of his other annoying <laughs> friends that you don't want to hang out with. Yeah,
2: yeah. Do the do the do the brew hounds have to come, Andre?
1: Yeah. Why do
2: they call themselves that? I just can't. We just hang out, you and me. Let's watch a movie, man. Like
1: yeah. He'll <laughs> <laughs> anyway, be. On the couch watching the movie, and he's like, Oh, yeah, no, I just got a, I just got a text from Uriah and he says he's gonna come over with a couple other dudes. I said, Yeah, totally, man. And he's just like, Oh fuck, yeah, come he's on, bringing
2: Chaz. Have you met Chaz? Yeah. Chaz is so cool, dude. They're bringing pizza. Yeah. All right, I guess. Jesus.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh the thing is, is that if Andre Feely wants it, they can take Lucas Almeida down.
1: He absolutely can.
2: Pat Sabatini had no difficulty taking Lucas Almeida to the floor. Um, And that would probably be a very smart thing to do because Almeida is super hittable and not even the most durable guy in the world, but he is every bit as insane as Charles Jordan. Yep. Uh, Not as good, not as sharp technically, but man, he will accept the same kind of wars and not back down, and he will dish out some hellacious punishment no matter how many times you hit him unless you can stop him. If you take him down, you're going to take some of the starch out of his collar. Yep. So it does look like, I mean, I think Andre's bigger. I think he'll probably get a little room to maybe try his kicking game. But it looks like a fight where I'm really only picking him to win confidently because I expect him to hit some takedowns.
1: He has more things he can do. Because if he just chooses to have, like Feely, I was thinking about this. He's very much like a Jim Miller kind of striker. Um, not that's, with a the, pretty good, that's a pretty good comparison I get what you're saying Yeah, where it's just like he's not at his best going forward yeah. and he's not at his best going backward he's really at his best when he gets to have a 50-50 exchange yeah. in, at the edge of range where he's getting to select what he wants to do in his you own time a
2: sort of a directionless fight, a striking match
1: and, and his and, striking looks good mm-hmm. you force him to either come, come forward and he's hittable Or go backward and he traps himself in corners. He's actually a better fighter off the back foot than front, but he puts himself in bad defensive positions.
2: Mostly because he's got a good jab and he's a a creative and deft counter striker.
1: Yeah. So that, like, if he allows himself to have that kind of striking match with Lucas Almeida, he puts himself in a very 50-50 fight where… Alme- he's just going to bank on being the better-skilled fighter in Almeida's best skills, and we saw Almeida like against Michael Trezano in that mm-hmm. fight where Trezano stung Almeida, but over time, it just kept being a worse fight for Michael Trezano. Yeah, he
2: is fearless and fights at a really high pace. And
1: is powerful, just he's sharp. Powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, this is a fight Feely could make worse. He can make it easier on himself or he can make it worse on himself and yeah. I'm ch- I'm guessing I am picking Feely as well for the ability to make it easier on himself, but yep, yep. He has to think about it cuz if he doesn't this it, it there's a potential there's trap fight potential here. Absolutely. Feely opened at -175, He's currently at -166. Almeida opened at plus 156, currently plus 148. That brings us to a heavyweight fight. Shamil Gaziev, Martin Boudet.
2: Finally, this card was so exciting and interesting. I was like, where are all the beef boys? Where is, where's the beef, Connor? Where's the beef? The beef, here it
1: is. Yeah. um, this This is, of course, being heavyweight, this is one. This is a fight where, like, Martin Boudet really should win this, but could easily lose it. Yeah. Gaziev is good at 1.5 things. <laughs> and not for very long. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I don't know why <laughs> framing just
2: killed me. He's good at 1.5 things. Yep, for 1.5 minutes.
1: Yes. Like, he... <laughs> can stock forward and throw one, two and land with some power and he can get a takedown and get on top of somebody. Yeah. He is not a great ground and pound artist. No, he is not a great grappler. He is a blanket on top with a very incomplete ground game. Yep. Yeah. And he does not have the cardio to be a striker. So that walk forward and throw one, two is literally walk forward one time and throw one, two, one time. And his fights, like you, I went and watched his fight with. Uh, Kirill Kornilov in Aries. And like, man, that was a slog. Just a resisting opponent made him so tired. And Martin Boudet is just, he's not much of an athlete, but he's just kind of a monolith. Yeah. He's just a tough fighter to do stuff against because he's, hes I mean, he's, he's the new Ben Rothwell. Yes. I don't even want to say Ben Rothwell 2.0, Because I don't know that there's been any advancement on Ben Rothwell's game at all. There isn't but one version of Ben Rothwell. (laughs) Yeah. But it's just that guy again. And he's very hard to hurt. He's very hard to hold down. He's very hard to outwork. And if you let him open up on you, there's a surprising amount of creativity in there. I'm going to pick Boudet. I think yeah. he can just make Gaziev work hard enough to get tired. And once he does, Bude will be right there.
2: Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, Bude has... I think that's surprisingly entertaining fight with uh, Lukas Breski. Mm-hmm. And it's not, not really, like, I don't know, it just, I think that was a good matchup to kind of display what he has. Uh, all the same... One thing you cannot question is his ability to weather a storm. Yeah. The dude is just absolutely has the required element for heavyweight MMA. Yep. He is super durable and he has a durable style too. He's very
1: unflappable. That's why it's very Ben Rothwell. It's just like just this obelisk teetering toward you. Yeah. And you have to put like it is about to fall on you and the whole fight is just you trying to push it the fuck off of you. Yes. That'd be <laughs> a good nickname.
2: The obelisk. The obelisk. It's a cool nickname for a for a heavyweight fighter. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'll take him as well. Gaziev is all go, dynamism, aggression, and there's that those aren't those are not the qualities that make for a consistently winning heavyweight. Let's say that.
1: Yeah. It has to be noted too that like Greg Velasco and that, that fight on the contender series basically got into a scramble with him where he got he took uh he took uh Gaziev's back and yeah. then completely realized he didn't actually know enough about grappling to <laughs> stay grappling with anyone. <laughs> and <laughs> Then he beat former UFC light heavyweight Darko Stosic before that. Yeah. And then he has a very narrow, ugly split decision over Kirill Kornilov. And then everybody else he's fought has basically no experience at all. Pretty much. Yeah.
2: Yep. I'll take Boudet. Has meaningful experience. Very difficult to finish. Very difficult to just consistently do anything to to Boudet. Yep. Yep. And meanwhile, he just kind of stays in there and keeps plugging away until he breaks you.
1: Yep. Uh, Odds on the fight. Boudet is the favorite, opened at minus 176, currently minus 136. Gaziev opened at plus 157, currently plus 123. That brings us to our final fight of the main card, Randy Brown. Muslim Salikov, and um, yeah, you know, help me out here. Uh oh, me? Yeah,
2: you. Um, pretty good for a curtain jerker fighter. Yeah, it? honestly, really and pretty. Why good is fight? it here? Is kind sure. of my question. This feels like this one could have been slotted significantly higher up the lineup.
1: Yeah, it, it really. It really it's not, does.
2: It's not really a complaint, more a complaint on no. behalf of the fighters.
1: And but it's also just a testament to this this card being honestly yeah. pretty mm-hmm. well stacked. Yeah. Um I will
2: say from the get go, I am inclined to take Randy Brown hmm. in this matchup. Um and perhaps that's a fantasy based on Randy Brown at his best. Yeah. There's always a difficulty in picking randy's fights like in fact on the main card you were talking about um what was it brown as a as a a luke opponent Mm -hmm. and you 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 distinguished it very carefully by saying he is not among the type of guys who beat luke in that he is not consistent
1: yeah can
2: you hear my cat uh, making insane noises
0: (laughs) shut up (laughs) (laughs) For, for fuck's sake (laughs)
2: all right that'll stop him for three seconds
0: Uh,
2: (laughs) that's the thing with randy brown because in all other respects he is the kind of guy who should be beating vicente Luque. yeah he has the style he's long great jab i mean really good boxing in general to be honest the guy can jab and pull somebody into the pocket and then slip and counter He's just not consistent. He's too addicted to trying stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've talked a lot about it before, but really, I think the thing that I always keep coming back to with Brown is that he is always sacrificing, uh, he's sacrificing done for perfection or sacrificing the good for the perfect. Yeah. He's, it's always like, oh, that worked, but I'm not going to keep doing that because I could be doing this and this would be perfect. If I can line this up and I can yeah. land this, that would be perfect. He just wants to do
2: the coolest shit
1: he can. Yeah.
2: Rather than simply knocking out the win. Yep. Um, And so that's the difficulty because I look at Randy Brown doing his best. Like, he, yeah, he can definitely just land a bunch of jabs on Muslim Salikov. Mm hmm. Uh, He can absolutely pressure him using his reach. Um, I mean, Salikov melted under the pressure of um, Nicholas Dalby. Yeah. And part of that was like the physical wrestling, but part of it was just having his striking defense tested with straight shots over and Mm -hmm. over again. And yeah, his stance just collapsed and he just ran himself into the fence repeatedly. Randy Brown can definitely do that. Yeah. Okay, now's where you caution me. You tell me why I'm
1: actually fantasizing. Will he? Because I mean, the thing, (laughs) the flip side of that is that Muslim Salikov is also the guy that will just fight smarter and win rounds. That's true. Like Muslim Salikov is, he is pressure allergic. Yeah. And can be pulled off of his game where he will have a meltdown. But he can also just go out there against Francisco Trinaldo or Elizu Zaleski and stick on a jab surprisingly well and stick on some pressure and land the occasional big power shot, go for the occasional exciting spin, but otherwise just stick on a pretty patient striking game that keeps him in his comfort zone
2: yeah it's the reach of Brown that makes it that kind of difficult to see, like
1: but Brown is never a fighter who is going to just keep and lean on his reach, you know that's true he will always it's the pursuit of the perfect he will he will lean on his reach every now and then, but he'll also just get like ten feet away, yeah and move around and let you come to him and bring him a fight in the pocket or just be pressured and, or meet you in the pocket and step way inside trying to land something cool. It's never like, Oh, I'm just going to stick here and make this a a game of reach and yeah. Consistency where Salikov I've, you know, He will all he will fight and, you know, he'll pressure and fight his way around a jab sometimes. Like he can't fight his way around a volume if you're going to be out there like Dalby or Li Jing Liang. Yeah. But
2: Brown is this is the other sticking point. Brown is a pretty. I mean, first of all, he's a a pretty high output fighter. This is the thing. Like I watched like Salikov's fight with uh, Zaleski. Yeah. Zaleski is a pretty high output fighter. But he did not have the reach and wasn't able to track Salikov down. Um, so he just missed most of the shots. Brown is just statistically more accurate than Zaleski, I think in large part because he's got longer arms. Yeah. Um, he could just touch people for free a lot more easily uh, from his range. And does it just makes it harder for me to see Salikov, because what you're describing is essentially Salikov neutralizing him.
1: Not even neutralizing him. It's just you think he's going push, in, push him into the fence and beat him up. Well, not even push him into the fence. It's just sort of like go in and land the the kind of jabs and big shots that make Brown work less. You know, like have, have a, a performance that is not. uh as effective, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that is neutralizing. But you're right. Brown does just put out more strikes. So. He
2: puts out a lot of strikes with his reach. And like he's inconsistent in sticking to that. But the work rate can kind of make up for that to some extent. I, I don't yeah. know. We, we may as well disagree on one. I think we've been.
1: Yeah, a- I'll, I'll, take, I'll stick with Salikov. The, the work rate is a problem. Because I don't think of Brown as working that hard. But he, you're right. He does put out more than Salikov. Throws a lot. Yeah, he gets hit more, but yeah. he puts out more. I will. I'll stick with. I'll stick with Salakov. I just think that he can do. He can freeze Brown up a little. A, a little with indecision. Yeah. And defensiveness, a defensive acumen that Brown isn't used to. Yeah. Um. But we'll find out. You know? Yeah,
2: I just think Salikov is not particularly inclined to pressure, which I think is one really reliable way of like yeah. hard punishing Randy Brown's inconsistency. Uh, if you're going to have a range fight with him, then you're going to have to deal with his reach, and you're going to have to deal with a, a pretty constant hailstorm of strikes, not all from ideal range, but enough that you're dealing with a lot of <laughs> strikes from... Yeah. His ideal range, where you just can't touch him back. Although granted, Salakov equalizes that a bit with you know a, a strong kicking game. But yeah, Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm feeling Brown here. I, I yeah. think.
1: Well, gamblers are away. behind you. He opened at minus 189. He's currently at minus 258. Salakov opened at minus one or plus 167. Is currently at plus 223.
2: Yeah, Randy Brown probably shouldn't be at long favorite odds against yeah. most a uh, par opponents, but. Favorite sounds sensible to me.
1: All right. Uh, I think we're going to – we're not going to do any bonus content for the prelim Vivi this week. I'm sorry. just We covered all the good shit. Ran out of time, covered all the good shit. There was not a lot going on in the prelims last week that we really need to get into. Anyway, on that note, I, you can find me on Twitter. These ain't funny. can find Connor on Twitter, op, op, on Twitter at BoxingBush. You can find both of us over at bloodyalabo.com. Thank you all for those of you subscribing to our Substack. If you're not subscribing, please subscribe. Help us out. Help keep Bloody Elbow running. We really appreciate it. And we will see you all with another vivisection next month in three weeks' time. Oh, so, goodness. last one for a while. Yeah, we'll be Maybe back. We we can, uh,
2: are we gonna wait till then to recap two ninety two six
1: two ninety six? Uh probably. You'll have your, you have your own show for that.
2: I have my own. I'm going to be talking about it for a minute anyway, but... Yeah. Okay.
1: All right.
0: On that note, adios, everyone. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcasts and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA tete tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey, Not the Face podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview shows, the Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.